Hello, and welcome to the LVP Architects podcast. Um, today we're going to talk about architects fees. So in this episode, we're going to try and cover fee types, um, which fee type to use and when, what to consider, what to charge for, um, when a client asks for you to reduce your fee. Um, then we'll talk a little bit about payment stages, sudden stops of a project, and a non-payment um, at the end. Right, so let's begin with the fee types. There are three main fee types, you know, or a combination of, and these are lump sum, percentage, and hourly rate. And if um, I expand a little bit, lump sum, basically this approach is, you know, it's very clear to all, the client and yourself, it will be X amount for your services that you clearly state in your appointment document or letter. Now, this approach means you need to have worked out exactly what your cost would be to get to the end result of your appointment, whether it's up to planning only or running the project all the way through to the end. So how many meetings uh, with a client you're going to have, planning officer, you know, uh, what drawings you need, design options, any reports and so on. All of that needs to be considered and taken into account. As long as you feel that the lump sum fee covers all of your services, then it is as simple a matter of working out the payment stages with the client, like all other fee types. If there is a breakdown of costs, it helps clients compare what you are offering against other architects that you might be bidding against really for this project. So the next one is percentage. So this would be based on the construction cost, not to be confused by the project cost. And this is something that you would explain to the potential client so they understand the difference because you need to realise that not all clients have gone through a building project, um, especially in the sort of domestic residential level. So when you have discussed their brief and budget, you can clarify this at that moment, you know. And if you're listening and you don't know yourself, well, simply put, the project cost is everything. So it's all construction fees, application fees, surveys, along with the building work cost itself. Whereas the construction cost, as the name implies, is the cost of the construction of the building only. So when a client says they have X amount of budget, just make sure that they understand that if that is their limit, which is fine, when you take away consultant fees and application fees and surveys and so on and so on, the sum they are left over with is the actual construction budget, which includes landscaping as well, of course. Anyway, your fee as a percentage will be based on the construction cost. So again, whatever percentage you aim for, this needs to cover you for all the work, meetings, drawings, reports, etc. that you will need to produce. Also, don't forget, as a percentage of the construction cost, if the cost goes up, so does your fee, which is great. But just as equally, if it goes down, so does yours. Again, as before, you'd work out the payment stages and what percentage is paid at what time. So the third fee type is an hourly rate. And this, just as simple really, is you would have already decided what your hourly rate is in your company or your practice. Consideration and you know clarity needs to be made if, if it is simply you, or if you're in a team actually, will be working at what rate at each stage. So resources start to play a factor with this, you know, similar to the previous example, um, you know, so at stage zero, it may just be you or a director only, but stage four, maybe you and two part twos, for example, this all depends on a scale of project, obviously. 
but if the client is happy with this approach, then you just need to make it clear and keep very accurate records of time spent on the project. Just to add to this, and this probably deserves its own podcast really under running an architect's practice, the majority of a fee within the UK construction industries are given excluding VAT. And that is important to remember, not just for your fee, but for tender returns from contractors. So when you're advising a client and reviewing tenders with them, they need to understand that the final figure isn't always the figure shown, which can be misleading, especially to clients who are kind of new to the construction projects. So those are the three main fee types, lump sum, percentage, and hourly rate. So which fee type do you use? Well, the most, it sounds daft, but the most suitable to, for the approach. You know, it will be dictated by a few factors and I'll talk about them shortly. But just have a clear in your mind that no one or even a combination of the three may be actually suitable. Do not dismiss an approach until you have a good feel for the client, the brief and the budget. So what I mean by that is you may be appointed for the whole project, but you may decide that you will take a lump sum for the early stages up to planning and then a percentage of the construction cost for the remainder of the project until it's completed. Or alternatively, you may mix it up and decide that you'll do an hourly rate charge for the first couple of stages with a lump sum or even a percentage for the latter stages. When might you do that? Well, maybe the client is inexperienced and has a small budget and is not really 100% sure that they want to do it all. You may agree that actually, how about an hourly rate for the beginning until the client is happy that the budget is sufficient and they will build it. You know, you could agree that there will be a limit that once reached will require the client to confirm to proceed any further to another agreed limit. That way the cost can be controlled. Equally, you could agree a small lump sum until a specific stage, say until a design freeze. And then if the client wishes to proceed to planning and or construction, you could have a percentage fee approach or another lump sum again. Another consideration is the complexity of the project. You, you might advise the client that the project may require a significant construction budget or may meet planning objections, in which case you may feel that the project might not get to construction stage, or if it does, it could be a long, drawn-out process by the authority to get there, in which case you may decide a lump sum up to planning is the best approach for you and the client then any planning changes, etc., would be another fee or hourly rate on top, as and when it is needed. And then, if the project goes to site, you can have agreed a percentage fee in advance, or even later after planning approval of the construction cost. On this note, you should never get tied into a fee payment that requires planning approval. That is a risk on you, and you can never guarantee planning at all. It is a fickle and sometimes baffling system, of what does and doesn't end up approved, and sometimes even on the same street. So as you can see, there are different options of fee types. There is an, in all honesty, no right or wrong approach. If you and the client are clear and agree from the beginning, then each or a mixture of them are fine. You need to understand that you need to do your homework first. You need to figure out what will be needed, resources, costs that you will bear to get the work done time and profit and then that gets you to a figure. Then decide if that 
is best reflected as a lump sum or a percentage of the construction cost. The third option of hourly rate is, well, mostly reserved for clients who are unsure, very early stage of a project. Any additional works or changes to works or perhaps, you know, a conservation project. So what to consider? What you need to consider and get clarity on before you submit a fee to the client. So a caveat here, the following is not a definitive list and there are many other considerations you may need to add, but this is down to you and the project itself. The first steps would be, have you done a project like this before? You know, if so, then you already have a starting point and each project after completion, you, you know, you should be reviewing anyway. So you have like a lessons learned, if you will. And this helps you progress and grow as an architect and make you more efficient at bidding or fee submitting. So an example could be that maybe you've you've had some similar projects ended up being at a loss because maybe you just underestimated the time it would take or the number of meetings because the client was new to the whole thing or didn't know what they really wanted or perhaps, you know, you were fortunate and the examples you have, the previous projects, were all really profitable. But, you know, they would have benefited from a lump sum instead of a percentage because, you know, the value of the project dropped considerably once the tender returns came in and the client wanted to cut back, for example. You know, would you change the fee? What should have been added or omitted? You, you can all review this and, and make it. And, it, and it's, it's a useful, useful guide if you've had a project before that's very similar. So you may decide that actually... Your scope of services were just too much and could have been scaled back. You know, maybe you needed much more resources than anticipated, so you could tweak the fee accordingly to reflect that. So next, think about project and appointment stages. What stages are you actually giving a fee for? Is it a feasibility study only? Or all the way to planning? Or is it actually the whole entire project, all the way through to project completion? Then you need to consider what information needs to be produced, you know, what types of drawings, um, designer and access statements, reports of any kind, site visit reports, surveys, meetings and notes, you know, snagging, all that sort of thing. You need to consider what what's your time going to be spent on. Next, you need to consider the client budget. This is important because obviously, as I mentioned earlier in the in this podcast, the importance of the client and you knowing the difference between a project and construction budget. You know, is there brief too complex does the client know what they really want or is it even achievable or is it just out of reach because of their budget do you envisage that you may be doing a lot of abortive work or scaling back on the design later on once the tenders are back you know you need to consider the likelihood of a project not reaching construction also with regards to stages your resources will it actually only be you doing all this project or do you need a full team of people from your practice at some point so what do you charge for Well, we've kind of highlighted a few of the things, but you're charging for items in your scope of services and what it takes to get them done, really. So are you, you know, surveying the site? You know, we've mentioned about meetings, travel, planning consultations, you know, pre-app meetings. We've discussed reports, design options, you know, all the drawings, feasibility studies, tender documentation and reviews. Is your role including the contract administrator? Are you going to take on the principal designer role? You know, things like that. You know, if you wanted to go further and deeper, you'd need to consider any office costs such as printing and copies, etc. If it's a time charge, then you, you know, you don't have free reign. You still need to decide what the client will get, you know, so planning application or, you know, the resources required to get to that point. 
any direct appointments you may need to take into account are reflected in your fee. You know, some clients, they, they wish you to be responsible for structure and landscaping so that all of those consultants are actually directly appointed through you. You might not get it straight away all of the time. You may miss something, underestimate or overestimate items and time associated with that. You know, and this is all part of the process. This is why reviewing projects you've completed, not just for the design, but cost and resourcing, helps greatly in the future. There is always those who will undercut, and there is very little you can do if someone is willing to do the work for half the price. And they will never make any profit, but maybe they've taken the gamble to get the work in order to hopefully obtain something more profitable later. Now, with regards to exact fee amounts, this is, you know, like I've mentioned it's more complicated and it's um, it's based on a number of factors and we've touched on things, but, you know, in, in a crude list, the type of building required, you know, um, a house versus a factory versus a university lab are very different. So you need to consider the complexity of that, the size of that building, um, the quality, you know, a warehouse versus a bespoke new home is very different. You know, a lab has a very high level spec versus a warehouse. So what is it you're doing? The, you know, how much amount of bespoke design is it? Is it very standard, modular, repetitive, or is it very unique? The level of service required, you know, as I've mentioned, planning drawings, full detail plans, you know, site inspections, all of this. Um, the amount of information that's actually available. Is it in a conservation area? The condition of the site? The complexity of the brief? Um, you know, the level of experience of the client, as I've mentioned. Are they, you know, are they quite new to all of this process? The region that the building is in, you know, some areas you'll need to decide if you'll reduce your fee accordingly as local practices or architects rates are cheaper in that area. What will be your appointment, you know, with a client? Contractor? Will it include the contract administrator, the principal designer role? Any other roles? Um, any additional other services or appointments needed to be appointed through you? You know, what are you producing at the end? We've mentioned about drawings. Are you doing reports? Are you doing feasibility studies, planning information, tender drawings, specification, instruction details? What is the actual information you need to produce at the end? You need to consider all of this to help you with your fee. So, you know, Reba abolished fee scales. Um, you know, they did it in a belief that at that time it was an increasingly outdated method and potentially harmful in that current economic climate. You know, this was 2009-ish. Um, but it now points to some of the publications for guidance on fee calculations. You know, some, some people still use the old scale system. It works for them. Some argue it's very simplistic. And actually what happened in the end as a consequence was a race to the bottom of fees um, which has led to lower standards you know there are two sides to every argument my advice and what i do is simply work out what is it you need to produce what services are you willing to provide and equate that to time needed to achieve it all if there is a program you know that's available great that helps if not you'll have to create one you know put some key dates in mind such as when planning is desired to be submitted when do they want the completed by you know so you make a basic program that sets your time and stages of work accordingly and and i suggest you submit that with your fee 
I believe clients appreciate the clarity of it all. You know, it is sad that design is condensed down to hours spent and time cost language, but even big practices or signature architects go through the same principles. They can just perhaps add a premium for their name. I realise it's easy to say to make sure you charge accordingly and don't lower your fee and make a loss, but in the end it is your choice or your practices or the directors that you work for. You need to weigh up the pros and cons of such a move. I think in general we are poorly paid in reflection to what we actually bring to the table, but I think that's a separate podcast on its own. So when a client asks if you can reduce your fee, well, you will encounter some clients that are very money focused and, you know, rightly so, it's their money and they will basically either tell you they like your stuff and you but this other architect has given a lower quote and can you match it or even do better or just simply that your fee is just too high for them my comments on this are i'm happy to lower my fee then i ask the client what services they wish me to omit from the scope of services i submitted with my original fee and then i can tell them how much i can take off and you'd be surprised that when you start saying right I'll take this bit out and this bit out and this bit out. They quickly realise what you bring to the table. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be flippant or dismissive of it, but I found that usually the fees don't really compare service for service. And as such, that is what, you know, I advise the clients to do at the beginning. I do advise them that they should go at least, you know, three architects as you would a minimum three contractors for a tender quote. I state... I will make my services clear and what I will and won't do and what they will get, maybe with, you know, examples, um, depending on the project. And for ease of comparison, I suggest that they ask other architects to do the same or the client gives them a list of the services required and they do their charges based on that. Now, if the client is new to this all, I kind of explain what scope of services are available and what I would expect their type of project to need, and I will help them draft something to send out for quotes. Yep, I really do do that. If I don't get the job, at the very least, I want the client to understand the processes of a project and understand what they may encounter and what the architect's role is or could be for them. I'm an honest architect and I like being helpful to people who are new to the process because it's it should be enjoyable. Whether it's a small extension, new house or a five million pound project. If it's larger than that, I tend to find that the, the project manager is there to guide them and I, I don't need to advise them so early on in the steps involved. But in the end, the choice is yours. If you feel that you can afford to reduce the fee or that the future prospects from that project outweigh the loss you may incur, then I totally understand your reasons. But just be wary, there are lots of people who will do it cheaper. In the end, know your worth and decide if that has a price. And if so, that will come across. It took me a while to learn my worth, but now I know what it is. And if the fee price needs to be so low that it makes me uncomfortable, or I feel I'm being cheated because of the value I can bring, I walk away. I know it's easy to say, and difficult to do at times, but sometimes you need to make your stand and draw that line that doesn't get crossed. Right, so payment stages. So with this, you need to break down your fee, um, if it's accepted, obviously, or, or you can do it when, when you do your fee bid. Um, an agreed payment stage or stages. Now, this could be based around the REBA stages, or it could be a monthly payment system. 
If you aren't sure, you can offer options that suit you and see what the client prefers. When you do the breakdown, you have to remember your cash flow for your business too. If monthly equal payments is your preference and the client agrees, then great. On the other hand, if you would prefer to work out the payments based around the REBA or key stages, that's also fine. This approach will mean that the balances due at each of those agreed stages will slightly vary percentage-wise. And that's because in some stages you may have produced a significant amount of work and the amount involved reflects that. So you may balance certain REBA stages more heavily as those will be, you know, they'll be more resource intensive. You know, for example, stage zero, you you may only meet the client a few times and then define the brief and submit that and that's it. But you wouldn't charge the same as, say, stage four which would have a considerable resource effort to produce technical drawings and outline spec in comparison to that. So what if a project suddenly stops? You know, this is one reason for agreeing stage payments instead of being paid at the end like some other professions, which be, you know, it would be poor business and, and I would strongly discourage that approach. You need to consider your payment instalments so that you have money coming in which is important for the success of your business to have this kind of cash flow. If you're new to architecture in general, or as a new qualified architect, you will learn quickly that projects can stall or stop suddenly. It could be a design issue, local authority issues, client concerns, or, or even related to funding. You may be appointed for the entire cycle of the project, but after the feasibility stage, the client may decide the project is not financially viable at this time and stop the project completely and the project may never restart again, or even in that form. Obviously, payments will be covered in your appointment contract, and as such, there are clauses you complete that set out stage payments and the amounts expected. You can clearly agree that, should the project stop at any stage, you'll provide the client with an invoice that clearly shows what is owed for the work that has been done up to that point since the last payment. Again, this is more of a contractual side and highlights the importance of an appointment document signed between the two parties. If you're unsure, you can download a consultation version from the REBA website. You know, it's a handy tool for you students that may get questions or on appointments. And for us qualified architects, when discussing fees and the project requirements ahead, it's, it's a very useful tool. Non-payment of fee. Um, again, really this is, this is a contractual issue and, and I've covered things like this in previous podcasts along with the importance of an appointment contract and, and what they contain. But generally, following your invoice, there will be a specific period of time that the client has to pay the invoice, which will contain not only the value owed, but a description of what the amount covers. Your appointment document will cover what the next steps should be for failure to pay within the agreed time period, you know, um, after a client has received your invoice. Obviously, you should contact the client and ask why. There could be a legitimate reason and, and it could get resolved quite quickly. Should, however, the client still not have paid after that or following a couple of chases by you or even they refuse to, your options begin to really narrow and really should down tools and, not, and begin to follow one of the dispute resolution options that has been agreed within the signed appointment document. It's as simple as that, really. So um, in summary, well, I know the podcast doesn't really give you exact values, but it really, uh, hopefully you've noticed it's dependent on the project particulars. 
If you're a student listening, I suggest you ask your boss what they charge. Note those figures down and then apply them to your answers in the exams. Because the exam questions are less about the figures, but more about demonstrating you understand the process of coming to a fee. But if you're desperate, as a guide and, you know, and a disclaimer here, I'm not suggesting that this is exact figures. And of course, you need to relate it properly to the project and its location. This is why it's you know, kind of difficult just to share prices and throw them out there. But as a guide, maybe, I don't know, something approximately 5 to 6% for a small 50 to 100k extension, maybe 3 to 4% for 100 to 200k extension, then perhaps 4% for a new build over 300k. And I guess, you know, if it's the beginning of a project, you, you could charge an hourly rate just for concept ideas or a feasibility study, you know, or it could be a lump sum if you feel the project may not get to construction. So, you know, work out those percentages and compare to the time, resources and costs you would incur for that specific project and see if that fits for you. If it's too low, then tweak it. If it's actually rather high for the region or the work you're going to produce, or, you know, it's actually a very simplistic design, then lower it. My advice is just find your worth and your value and stick to it. What do you bring that makes your fee level acceptable? What you charge is up to you. We all want to be competitive, but you will always encounter those that undercut considerably. And you just need to ask yourself if the outcome is really worth it for you to con even consider matching it. Well, I hope... This has helped you understand a little bit more about architectural fees and, and though it doesn't give you exact figures, I think it should hopefully give you an idea of what you need to consider um, and how, if there's a program, great. If not, create a program to guide you in your fee stages and when you want to invoice and, and whether it's an hourly rate, a lump sum or a percentage of the construction cost, entirely up to you. There's no right or wrong. In the end, the wrong one is if you make a huge loss. The right one is if you break even or make profit. So it's down to you. There's no magic solution, really. Um, I'm sure there are people out there with their own theories of how to do it and what, what works best. But if you've got previous examples of, of projects, that definitely helps. But hopefully this has been of use. Um, until next time, see you then. Take care. <laughs>